Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Is Dave talking so much? I need shit. to leave now, Lord. It's the TF3 podcast midweek. We're going to do Q and A this week because you guys are lucky. We're first of all going to talk a little about Europe, though. Uh, Nico Morales joins us. Nico, you've had an experience uh, alongside Statman Dave, actually. Was it alongside? Yeah, no, it wasn't alongside. Dave refused to come to the game, uh, but we went to the city youth game, which was quite yeah, good together. That was an experience so, yeah. for a start, but we'll we'll talk through that in just a moment. And then, of course, your guide to Manchester, um, the new Noel Gallagher. It's Dave O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Lawrence. The new Noel Gallagher. That is a. I don't know if that's an insult or. I or think not. that's a compliment, thought, isn't it? I thought it was a compliment. I'm not sure though. Noel Gallagher supports Manchester. City Lawrence, and as I, I've made he's Nico got some aware, jams, that's just so. not acceptable. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. The new Morrissey. <laughs> the Morrissey is I don't know if he. I don't know who he, he supports actually. Um, never mind. Anyway, um, who's your favourite football supporting uh, person? Mine's Drake because he supports everyone. Uh, Nico, let's start off in Europe and your first experience of European football supporting your boyhood club um talk to me a little bit about going to manchester and the experience of manchester yeah it was quite fun um got to meet dave in person obviously we've spoken quite a bit over skype over the past year year and a half and that's been fun uh so finally meeting dave was was really good we you know i got to meet his girlfriend i got to stay in his house i got to go to a two manchester city games in one day so it was a really good experience, especially seeing details. Um, you know, Man- details, wanting details, details specific. Where Dave well, lives, Dave, how well, Dave he- made me. Dave made me hang out with a strange Frenchman for about a day, which n- neither him or I knew. Uh, so that was good. But other than that, yeah, it wasn't bad. Dave. Yeah, it was all right. Nico tried to deposit some sort of Manchester City flag with my girlfriend, um, which I've had to put in the bin. Who is a Manchester City? Uh, just to let everyone know, no, no Manchester City memorabilia is allowed in my house. <laughs> so unfortunately, we've had to we've had to get rid of that present, as it as Nico called it. I kind of take it as a bit of an insult, um, but you know, whatever. Who's the French guy? <laughs> His name um, was this one of my girlfriend's mates from London. Clement. His name was Clement. 
yeah, just a French guy. I want to Nico. He came to the uh, Manchester City youth game with us, and it was like <laughs> we, we warned him. I warned him it was going to be cold, and he didn't take any of my warning. He literally just wore a jacket and, as, like, as and honestly, the rain was falling down. It was freezing. As Dave and I would describe his visit to Manchester, having only known Dave's girlfriend for two weeks, he was bold. How, as in um, a bold lad, a bold dresser. Yes, just general all-round boldness, I think, from the lad. Wow, okay. Uh, what a day. I mean, Nico, then you obviously went to go and see the youth. Dave, were you impressed with the youth of Manchester? Uh, they were all right. They struggled to break down a pretty decent Feyenoord team. Feyenoord played some pretty good stuff. What I liked about City was how they retained the ball, and that's kind of like not what United aren't that good at retaining the ball at the moment at that level. They seem to come a little bit unstuck sometimes with their, their possession. So City were very good in dominating possession but they couldn't find a, you know, they couldn't find a break. Whereas United have real quality in the final third at that level. And of course, Angel Gomez, who again, massively impressed for Manchester United, grabbing his uh, second assist of the tournament, along with two goals. He's, you know, he's been incredible from, you know, central midfield, attacking midfield. His, his ability to carry the ball is, is absolutely unbelievable. And I think, you know, if there's any positives from Manchester United yesterday, it wasn't the first team, it wasn't really the under-19s, but of course, Angel Gomez was the, the star of the show uh, once again. Nico, anyone catch your eye? Yeah, young sort of wide attacking player named Lorenzo. I forget his last name, but he was uh, quite stocky, quite quick, quite good Gonzalez. with the ball. Feet. Uh, yeah, Lorenzo Gonzalez, I guess. And he was quite good. Uh, the only criticism I guess I would have, but I don't really have too much experience watching youth football, is you know he seemed to run out of gas around maybe the 60th minute. Um, but he was taking on quite a few fine order players, trying to make things happen in the final third. And as Dave mentioned, the City youth side uh, kept possession really well. They just weren't able to, to get sort of that final pass in, in the box, and that was unfortunate. But it was still a, a pretty decent nil-nil. It wasn't the most um, boring game, but, you know... I've just the found the bad. team sheet, Lawrence. Oh, so, okay. the good ahead, players Jeff. for Manchester City, Taylor Richards, number 10. Of course. And then, oh my God, I'm going to bloody butcher these other two lads' names. Sadu Dalla, maybe? And then Aya Tomwa Deli Basharu. Yes. I think I nailed that. He was the best player. The number eight for Manchester City was really, really good. Um, and they were, you know, know. They were, like Nico mentioned, they were very impressive in their attention to the ball, but they lacked a little bit of a cutting edge. Can you see Pep's influence at that level? I think you can see the Manchester City influence on that level. I don't think it's just Pep Guardiola. I think it's, you know, City's influence uh, at youth level is a bit bigger than just the first team. Like, it's a whole philosophy of a club, which is a, it's a nice thing to see. Um but it's, you know, it's just one of those things that they play a little bit like Barcelona. Their youth teams are very flexible, you know, playing a 4-3-3 in the first half, then switching to a 3-2-3-2 maybe system. Like it was very, very flexible, a lot of interchanging of positions, which was quite impressive at that level to have that. And the pressing was very good. They pressed pretty much with the front five uh, most of the time, you know, the two going back to attacking midfielders and the striker. So it's one of these things where they, they were good. I might say, but again, they weren't clinical. Um, they didn't take the chances. They created quite. They created maybe three one-on-ones, and they didn't take them. So if they were to do anything, it would be to be a little bit better in front of a goal. But Feyenoord had a few good players. There's a guy that looked like Dirk Cowell. Like, honestly, it was the split of Dirk Cowell that played on the right wing. It was, it was like 6-4, like a really big sort of like, like, you know, he hadn't really filled into his body, but his face just looked like Dirk Cowell. Maybe it's one of his kids. Unfortunate for... Um that guy. Although Dirk cleans up nicely. Anyway, Nico, 
match experience. Man City, wow. Yeah, it was it was really nice. Obviously, uh, having seen the Etihad from the outside many a time on TV, it was finally nice to go there and really get the the match experience, especially on a Champions League day. Um, but yeah, the match was really nice. The the seats were really nice, and thanks to Dave for setting that up. Um, the game unfortunately was only one nil, and I would have liked to maybe see more goals from Manchester City. But it was still, I think, the positive thing I could pull away from that was it was nice to watch Manchester City try to break down like a proficient tactical setup. You know, it wasn't just the easiest of games. Feyenoord set up really well um, defensively. It wasn't just sitting back. It was, you know, compacting the space, having a high line. Um, and maybe, you know, we'll, we'll probably talk about some of these defensive concepts as maybe we talk about Liverpool in the Sevilla game. Um, but, you know, Feyenoord were just really organized in, in the connection between the players that were actively trying to put pressure on the ball and the and what sort of the back four was doing um, in response to that. And I think Dave and I were talking on the train up to the Etihad campus uh, about, you know, sort of the actions that the back four should take um, when the midfielders and the forwards are putting pressure on the ball. If the, yeah. if the ball is being, being pressurized, then generally you, you, you can stand off a bit. But then when it's not, you, ha- you really have to be on the half turn and, and aware of the runs that are being made. Because obviously with the quality of Manchester City or really any top level professional team, there's, there's the, you know, the immediate sense of danger that someone can pop a ball over the top. And I think for the majority of the game, Feyenoord did that really well. Um, when Manchester City, through the use of sort of their sideline triangle that they used to, to dishevel teams in, in a defensive sense. Um, when they did get space in the middle because of that, uh, some of the strikers dropped deep and helped out in the middle, which really negated a lot of the opportunity that Manchester City could have. But then, as you saw it in, in sort of the final moments, Raheem Sterling made a, a really nice you know, one-two with uh, Ilkay Gundogan, a really good through ball. And then he finished exceptionally well. And it's it's another yet another goal for Raheem Sterling in a season that seems to be really, really uh, good for him in a, in a goal-scoring sense. It's almost boring is what you're saying. It's almost it's almost boring to watch Man City at this point. It's a <laughs> foregone conclusion. Um, let's move to a team where you don't know if they're going to win or lose. Am I going to talk to Dave? Am I going to talk to Lawrence? You don't know. Um, Liverpool drew 3 all in Sevilla. Um, now, Dave, obviously in the first half, Liverpool looked... Uh, well, actually, they didn't look all that dominant to me. I've not, I wasn't incredibly impressed with the performance. I just thought that it was Sevilla who looked incredibly shaky at the back to exactly the same goals from Liverpool's set pieces, which is hardly um, is hardly a ringing endorsement of the counter-attacking football that Klopp has, but it's also good that Liverpool uh, identified that and then did it. Maybe shame on, you know, fool me once, bad enough. Uh, score exactly the same goal twice, shame on you. Um, and then the second half, it all changed and uh, Alberto Moreno made two awful cups, which uh, got them back in the game. Yeah, I think that's definitely something you could take into consideration. But you kind of lumping the blame on Albert Moreno, who's had a pretty good season. I think that you've also got to look at other sort of you know players within that system that just aren't performing at the moment. Jordan Henderson had a pass completion of 55% against um, Sevilla. Gini Wijnaldum wasn't better between them. They completed 65% of their passes. They created a single chance, won a single tackle, won one single aerial duel between a midfield duo that, you, that should be working hard and should be making tackles, should be winning tackles, should be winning the ball back. Are just just not good enough, and it, with a three nil lead, throwing that away is crazy. You know that should never happen at any level of football. Something bad's happened there, and to have no control in central midfield is probably one of the reasons why 
it kind of went down as well as Robert Firmino. It wasn't a very good outlet in the second half, especially. A lot of pass accuracies here because it, it sort of pitches, paints a picture of how Liverpool was so bad on the ball. Uh, Firmino completed 33% of his passes in the second half. That is terrible numbers, absolutely terrible numbers. So it's just one of these things where Liverpool failed to failed to hold the game that second half. They, they kind of, you know, they'd, they'd written off Sevilla. They'd written off a team that have been so good um, at knockout tournaments in the last four or five seasons. You can't write this team off. Liverpool, that, they did that in the final of the Europa League. Same thing happened. And it's one of these things where, again, is it Jurgen Klopp? Is it the team? Is it the makeup of, sort of certain players? Is it Jordan Henderson not leading? It's, there's so many different problems at the moment with Liverpool in terms of mentality. And it's a funny word, mentality. But at the moment... Do you think, Lawrence, that there, there's someone there that when a goal goes down, it's like, right, lads, let's switch on. Let's not get them. Let's get, you know, let's win this next tackle. Let's start holding the ball. Is anyone there on that side that does that? I have a question well, for Lawrence as well. But. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there's um, figures within the side that want to lead. I don't think Jordan Henderson, I mean, people always talk about the intangible side of Jordan Henderson, his organisation, those sorts of things. And I'm sure that there is that as well I didn't hear any stats on interceptions I don't know uh, what his interceptions was or anything like that um, I I mean two go- two of those goals were directly related to Alberto Moreno messing up very directly the penalty was something he didn't need to do and it was clumsy didn't need to do that he was taken off Liverpool looked much more uh, solid down the left um, especially considering it was James Milner and you know uh, that there was that element as well. I think Liverpool's attack didn't look particularly impressive in the second half. Um, basically, I, I, I don't think they're a fantastic team right now. You know, people talk about Liverpool streaming forward, but I've not seen them do it against any sort of quality defence. I've only ever seen them do it against side who, sides who either look bewildered or, you know, not quite at the races. And, and maybe that's part of Jurgen Klopp's tactic is, you know, shocking it or something like that. But I, I don't know. I, Wijnaldum certainly serves a purpose in the right game. Henderson, I'm less sure about. Emre Chan, I'm unsure what whether his whether he's used to his maximum right now. Um, Mane, I think is a great player. I think Salah's a great player. I think Firmino is a good player. Uh, when he's on it, when he's on form, it's difficult for all those three to link up because I think they're expected to just sort of freestyle it when they get the ball, and I think that makes it probably quite frustrating for them. They need a bigger midfield presence, and they don't have one. Um, but then you'd have to say, well, Naby Keita would definitely be one of those presences in linking up between the two and maybe make a more, defi- if you put Naby Keita in that midfield, it makes a more defined role for the other player. And it would, it seems as if someone like Jordan Henderson doesn't have a particularly well-defined role right now. Um, or if he does, he's not particularly good at uh, enacting it. And that's partly Jurgen Klopp's fault, but I, I directly put Alberto Moreno in responsibility for the first two goals. He fouled the guy completely needlessly for the penalty, and then obviously the, the first goal. It seems quite uh, quite quite clear how he let him in. Nico, go ahead. You've got a great question. Yeah, I mean, so I think if you look at the the goal that Roberto Firmino scored, I think it was the third where he sort of no looked uh, it into the net uh, yeah. off a deflection from Sadio Mane. So obviously Liverpool have created a ton of those kinds of chances. They've scored a ton of those kinds of goals. And as you've mentioned in the past, you feel sometimes that Liverpool maybe, despite scoring maybe three, possibly even four, that there are more goals that could have gone in and maybe in 
different situations. They could be more clinical, and that in turn could could affect the defensive you know defensive situation a little bit differently. I think if you look at the spacing in those situations, specifically maybe that situation, um, you know the 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 space between the front line, the midfield, and the back four in that kind of situation is so spread apart that let's say in maybe a slightly different situation where that doesn't result in a goal, I think maybe referring back to the concept that I was just talking about where you know, if you don't have immediate pressure on the ball in a certain area, then the back four can be put in a very difficult situation. Do you feel as though that, you know, maybe is it down to Jurgen Klopp in that situation or is it down to the team to get the spacing a little bit better? Because I feel, as I've talked about um, with you before, that a lot of it is down to maybe a lack of compactness from Liverpool. And I think in a lot of situations, and I understand in this game, Alberto Moreno was definitely at fault. And I think you're completely right in what you're saying. But I think in maybe the concession of chances, because even though Liverpool created much more than Sevilla, there were still quite a few chances that Sevilla did create. And those are chances that that that's, that Liverpool are consistently conceding. So, I mean, and also do you feel that... Liverpool yeah. would have put those away. Liverpool, uh, sorry, right. Sevilla, Sevilla would have put those away and Liverpool haven't put those away in the past. So that's where Liverpool have had a real problem. And I guess that's the issue is that actually, uh, you know, we go back to the old gambling side of things, but Jurgen Klopp does like to play the odds. You know, especially if he's going to play this kind of football, then you are playing with odds. You're not playing a low risk football. And I guess that's why in Vegas they don't just have one game is because people, some people don't like the games where it feels like it's high risk. And You'd say that a player like Lovren, a player like Clavan, both of them have played in much more compact systems. There's a reason that Liverpool bought uh, Lovren in. There's a reason that they bought Clavan in. Um, and part of that, you'd imagine that Clavan and Lovren should have been leadership at the start. I mean, at Southampton, people spoke about him as a leader on the pitch alongside whoever else was in the centre-back position at, at that time. And then same with Clavan, who's, you know, capped for Estonia, granted, but still a very uh, highly capped player for them. Uh, Moreno's had a good season, I agree. I just don't, I, I, I don't think that, that it's enough to say, well, he's had a good season, okay, he can have one bad game. At the same time, uh, I think it, there was a heightened emotion around it because obviously what was said at halftime by the manager of Sevilla about um, having cancer, not that I don't think the team didn't know that before. I'm not quite sure how this plays out because if journalists know it and can tweet it, how little did the players actually know? Um, I think it was Juan Arango who tweeted it before the game, I think. Um, so how little did the players actually know? And then also the severe players themselves. Do, do you feel like that's almost an inappropriate use of information? Not from Juan Giarango, but I mean like this the way that the the information seemed to be displayed on on social media. It was almost like that was used as a sense of inspiration. And I don't know if like... Well, if they have lost 6-0, then you would have said, well, you completely demoralized your players at half time. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I suppose re- uh, the hindsight that, you know, you connect dots backwards or whatever, that's, that's lovely. Um, you never know, it might have another effect on the players in the future. Maybe players will be less trusting. I don't know. Um, it seems like journalists wanted to sensationalise it more than the manager. We don't know how the manager delivered that as a message. So I, I don't think we can judge that really, can we? It seems, for, I mean, I can see what you're saying, but then at the same time, we don't know what he said. Yeah, no, I'm not, I, 
yeah, I guess you're I, right. I we don't know, we don't know how that message was delivered to the players. Yeah. So there's no way that we can talk about it. But it's w- the journalist there who who sensationalizes that and sort of makes it sound. Yeah. You know, we all Def- we all imagine it as that sort of inspirational speech or whatever. Liverpool aren't good enough right now. I um and for some reason. Liverpool fans, there are some Liverpool fans who are in complete denial and other ones who go way too far the other way and sort of say we need to change absolutely everything. Um, and I think there's a happy medium that Jurgen Klopp hasn't found yet, uh, often enough. Um, and uh, you know, a 3-0 win is very, uh, 3-0 win is a very good thing. A 3 all is a highly unlikely scoreline. Liverpool still sit top of the group uh, and they can still go through top of the group. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, it's not great for Liverpool right now. And um, they do play Chelsea on Saturday night. So let's see how that one goes. That will probably be a really good litmus test as to how good uh, both Liverpool and Chelsea are this season. Best front three versus, great problem, versus uh, the best front two or close. Uh, elsewhere, Spurs <laughs> did fuck all um, in the Champions League. Dave, you don't rate them. <laughs> <laughs> that's just winding up really um, and he may have got the last laugh because my team underperformed but yeah Spurs they're a decent enough side and I think they're, they're proving this season that maybe the Champions League's for them this year that's what I I joke about the Dortmund thing but I really there, there's something Dortmund about the Spurs side in terms of how they play in terms of the age of their players how they're aggressive how they press how they have a very very good centre forward obviously like Lewandowski, Harry Kane, how they have you know a number of good creative forwards how they have a sec- second striker Marco Royce of course with Deli Alley. there's a lot of sort of similarities between the sides. This Spurs team is good at, in the defensive sense. They're very good when they've got a lead. That's the same thing with what happened with Dortmund. They were very, very good at defending a lead. They counter-attacked very well. And again, they did that very well against Dortmund. A good comeback. Dortmund this this season, uh, you know, they've gone from starting very, 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 very well to having, uh, you know, letting their opponents have too many chances, maybe being a bit too high in terms of their press. So there's things that definitely need to be sorted out by Peter Bosch. Um, it's just too many clear-cut chances, but Spurs deserve the comeback. Son, of course, with the, the killer goal, and it was, a, it was a fantastic goal. I do, I do enjoy this Spurs team, but it is just great winding up, especially when they lose. Yeah, it's, it is just good. He's just someone who's great to wind up. Um, and then, of course, brave, brave Celtic, uh, Dave. <laughs> so brave. <laughs> yeah, so brave, but. They're just absolutely thumped. What's weird is that, like, Brendan Rodgers seems to be doing a very good job at Chelsea, but uh, Chelsea, sorry, at Celtic, but they're just absolutely rubbish in the Champions League. Of course, it's a different tournament than the, the SPL, and of course, the levels and standards are so much better, but 7 0. 7 1, like, Dave. 7 1. 7 1, sorry, sorry, sorry. Seven, went 1 0. Yeah, Scott Sinclair, but like, I understand this team, this PSG team is good. You know, playing Julian Draxler, uh, Rabio, and Verratti as a midfield behind Mbappe, Cavani and Neymar is bloody awesome. You know, Neymar's really closing the gap um, in terms of goals and assists to Cristiano Ronaldo and of course Lionel Messi is now ranked third. So it's interesting. It is interesting to see a Neymar, you know, a Neymar side, a side that's built around Neymar. I do enjoy that. I think he was fantastic in the game. Same with Verratti who completed 117 passes, which was pretty incredible. But again, Celtic, what was their plan? You know, they they played some like three, five, one, but like, what do you want to do against this PSG team, you want to sit compact and you want to counter-attack down the flanks. You've only got one guy there, you know, one wing-back. And it just seems like the, the plan from Rodgers was stupid. And he lost 7-1. And Celtic shouldn't be losing 7-1. You know, I'm all for Scottish football getting good. You know, the glory days of Scottish football, the Lisbon Lions, um, 
you know, the first British team to win the Champions League. That was an awesome team built up of Scottish players. But the problem with Scottish football right now is they're not getting the coaches, they're not getting the players, they're not spending enough money um, in the right areas in the FA. They don't have enough FA registered co- coaches, either UA for A, UA for B. And not that this is sort of, you know, this is Scottish football, but it just seems like Brendan Rodgers is getting plaudits for the league. But is he being too open in the Champions League? He's winning the Scottish Cup as well. Let's not forget that. Um, sorry, sorry, and the League Cup as well in Scotland. Uh, of course, Chelsea won four 0 against Carabag. Uh, Willian heavily involved there. Uh, great work from him, and always seems positive when he's in the side. Uh, elsewhere, Robert Lewandowski is blonde. Uh, Dave, do you think he bet on Zlatan Ibrahimovic to get twenty goals in the Premier League last season? Sorry, I was going to say uh, the head of the podcast. So instead of me getting my hair bleached blonde, Lewandowski right. did it for me. Right. Br- okay, um, brilliant. So that's sorted. Sweet. It was, that's done with that. It's good, finally, good to finally get that over with. Statman Davis humiliated by a footballer getting his hair dyed Ah, uh, yes. People, people will be satisfied by that, Dave. You, yeah, you've hit real the nail satisfied. on the head there. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Finally, uh, retribution for Adam, who suffered months uh, watching you walk around uh, looking... Uh, marginally respectable. Um, now let's let's talk let's talk about it though, uh, Nico. Have you ever called nine one one after a team have lost? Um, should I have after United lost to to Basel yesterday? Uh, no, we we were going to talk about that in a second. Where I was talking about West oh, okay. Ham fans being urged to stop calling nine 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 because their team is so bad. Sorry, is nine 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 emergency services in this country? Yeah, you fucking stupid. Of course it is. Yeah, mm, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Nico, you've been here for what, nearly a week? All you have to do is you're going to call the Popo. No, I've I've been here for a couple days at the most. Yeah, uh, to be fair, he's probably still jet-lagged, which is why he took a shit on the floor and then forgot about it. (laughs) No, someone else did that. So shout out to to the Airbnb roommates. Uh, Wow. Uh, It's unusual that someone would poo on the floor. There was poo on the floor? Quite there literally, was Dave. Someone pooped there on the floor in the bathroom. The are, Nico, are you saying Christ. it quietly because you're worried they're close? Yes, because I am in my Airbnb right now. I understand, but they're oh, not. Okay. Um, maybe that's what someone thought when they were trying to get to the toilet and they just didn't do it in time. Um, <laughs> Let it go! Yeah. Now, someone Let else who, <laughs> someone else who uh, shat the bed at uh, Manchester United in... Um, <laughs> In a weird, <laughs> weird situation uh, where they lost 1-0, Dave, despite looking all over Basel. For some reason, weirdly in the second half, watching this game live, there was never a moment when it felt like United were in control in the way that you would expect a Mourinho team to be in control. No, in the first half they were. They created a hat full of chances, you know, flaming That's why I said the second half, Dave. Second half. Yeah, I agree. But I just want to, we want to touch on the first half first, because United were quite good. You know, they played this 4-5-1, Fellaini... Pogba in midfield, they looked good, they created chances. Herrera played quite well at defensive midfield. Um, I thought Marcus Rojo was brilliant throughout the whole game, but it just seems really weird. It's sort of like, you know, when they don't get this like, little slight bit of luck or the finishing is a, isn't at that top quality, I think Martial had a big chance, Lukaku had a big chance, Fellaini had a chance cleared off the line, of course, the post and so forth. It's just a bit weird. They kind of, you know, they, they sat back a bit too much and they got too much pressure and then Mourinho with a pretty bad substitution, to be quite frank. You know, he moved from... Having a you know four five one to more of a four three three. Zlatan came on, on. Lukaku was pushed out right. I understand how that could work against somebody like a Manchester City or somebody where you're not playing a three a three four three that has wing backs. 
you know, you pretty much played into the strength. You look at that goal, Darmian has a 2v1. Why does Darmian have a 2v1? Because Lukaku's playing ahead of him on that flank, is it tracking back? Because it just seems a bit stupid from Mourinho. Like, it seems a bit naive. I don't know whether he thought that Lukaku would be fine there, but just in this system, in this game state, it was a bad decision to leave Lukaku on with Zlatan on the field. And it was a bit weird. And of course, the goal was a good goal, but it was just did because United system sure, had been you overloaded. Did, you did say, though, Dave, that you, I think I saw a tweet of yours that said you take, was it Pogba off? And, or you want to play Zlatan as a 10? Yeah, Zlatan as a 10 and then Lukaku as a, as a 9. That's fine because you've got a, a bit of threat. You've got, you know, if you are playing defensive then, you've still right. got your two banks of four that you can sit deep and then you can go long to Zlatan. United's problem in that second half is their attention was quite poor of the ball anywhere. So, you know, whether it was they were retaining it around the back, they were retaining it in midfield, it just wasn't, you know, they weren't finding their men. Um, and by bringing Zlatan on, you would have had a target. Zlatan this season has been yeah. about quite chilled out the ball, like quite calm, and it was calm last season as well. So by having Zlatan as a number 10, that they could have like chilled out. But bringing Zlatan on as a number nine and then having Lukaku wide didn't work just because of the systems. And that was ultimately why United, you know, lost the game is because they kind of didn't think. You know, there, there wasn't much... Thought process in that substitution. It was more like, okay, we've, you know, it's pretty much game over. Let's just, uh, you know, let's throw Zlatan on, give him some minutes. I don't know whether there was proper thought in terms of who is now going to pick up the right wing back when he pushes forward. Surely, that um, Mourinho wouldn't. Play. I mean, and then it, there was a two one on Darmian, and then does it? Does it? What? What's the situation now in United's group, Dave? Is that really so bad for Manchester United that they? No, no, it's fine. This is the thing. It's weird. It's weird. There's this like, well, United have lost. Football Twitter explodes. Honestly, it doesn't matter. I don't think there's been a team ever that has been knocked out in the Champions League when they've got 12 points ever in the history of the tournament United need to lose something like 7-0 or 6-0 or something like that to get knocked out so for me it's, it's done and dusted maybe even getting second position in this group could be quite clever um, you're thinking about the teams that currently finish in second Real Madrid Atletico Madrid Bayern Munich like honestly maybe by what does anyone else smell Kool-Aid I mean I smell it the group. it's pretty pungent Kool-Aid Oh yeah. uh, wow! Okay, uh, what 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 smell is this Kool Aid? I think it's red. I think it's red Kool Aid, Lawrence. Uh, are you saying that Dave's indoctrinated in some way? Mm, I might be suggesting that. I don't know. I don't necessarily disagree with the fact that I don't think Manchester United play poorly. I think it's funny how, like, the Manchester clubs are so in such direct contrast in the way they play. Like I think Manchester United have a, a number of ways in which they can defend different situations. And they're so diverse defensively that they're, they're going to be competent against any top team. That's the reality of the situation. But I think offensively in certain situations, they're missing some players because of the way that Mourinho likes to play his football, he isn't, really diverse and attacking. And I think that's obviously the exact opposite for Manchester City. Manchester City are very one-dimensional in, in defense. Um, they've yet to be exposed in that. And I think maybe someone like Manchester United or Spurs will take advantage of that. But obviously in attack, they have a ton of options. So I, I don't disagree with the fact that I think they played well. They probably deserved a result. Um, but, you know, it's always it's always fun to, to poke to poke fun at Manchester United when they do lose. Um, but, you know, you don't want to finish second in your group. Obviously, in some situations this season, because of Real Madrid finishing second, I think Juventus as well, it might be a little bit advantageous, but generally you want to finish, you want to finish first. Let's see. It's going to be interesting. Uh, of course, it might also be good to be drawn against one of those sides because it looks then like you're taking a scalp on the way to the final. And really all you've done is beaten a side that's fairly long confidence. Uh, let's see. Though it's going to be interesting. Uh, elsewhere, 
Juve Barcelona. Did you watch that one, Nico? I did. I, I did. I did. Inform me of the final score. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It was nil-nil. It was exactly, a really, Nico. Uh, so why the hell are we talking game. about it? <laughs> it, was a, it was a good game, though. It was a good <laughs> game to, to talk about Juventus and the current context that they are. Um, I think, you know, as I've mentioned before, I think... Allegri's a brilliant coach and he's had a little bit of trouble maybe uh, transitioning this Juventus team away from their center point of the past few seasons, which was Bonucci and sort of how the team was entirely based around the the abilities of that back three. Um, but I think in this game we saw them reverting to – it was set up in – in sort of the formation that the Juventus Twitter account put out in a 4-2-3-1, but it was actually sort of that hybrid that we saw last season with Danny Alves. But obviously, since they don't have Danny Alves anymore, Juan Cuadrado was in that position. And I, I just really enjoy the tactical flexibility that Allegri seems to bring so consistently to his Juventus teams. Um, Medi Benatia was a, was a player that wasn't getting too much playtime uh, under Pep Guardiola at Bayern Munich. And when he moved to Juventus originally, I don't think he got very much playtime at all. But now with Bonucci gone, I think his talents as sort of an athletic defender and certainly an intelligent one are being utilized best, especially in this game. Um, they didn't create too much in attack, but it was sort of a, a shutdown defensive performance from them. And I think given the form that, that Barcelona are in, I think that's something to be admired. And, and Adam had someone on uh, earlier in the week from Italian football TV who was talking about uh, Allegri's mindset. And he sort of spoke about how obviously it's important to stay near the top of the table in the first half of the season. But I think he, he said to uh, Sky Italia that it's more for him in the first part of the season to un- for the players to fully understand the tactical style and the formation and the things that they're trying to do both on and off the ball in the beginning of the season. And then you know, transition to, to picking up as many points as physically possible and focusing more on the result as opposed to the performance uh, once he feels that the team has the performance down. And I think that that's important. And, and that's partially why I, I respect Allegri so much of a co- as a coach because he, he clearly understands what he's doing and there's a lot of thought that goes into his side. So, uh, you know, the more tactical flexibility that they have, and I think he's adding to that um, in a difficult transition period for Juventus that the better that they're going to become and, and I just can't wait to see what he does in the second half of the season elsewhere congratulations to Igor Akinfiv Fev, maybe um, it's first clean sheet in the Champions League in 11 years um, that makes it sound longer I mean it you know how many times they played in the Champions League in that time etc etc um, 43 games I think Lawrence 20 is that all Dave that's not even a whole season 
It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, speaking of nebulous stats, Dave, it's been clear this week that uh, finally expected goals is under the cosh that it needs to be under. As old men realise, we can't understand this. We need to get rid of it. Mm, I agree. Get rid of it. I'm with uh, Keezy and the... No, not Keezy. Sterling, Sterling. and the boys. Sterling. On this. Sterling, yeah, Sterling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Expected one, Nico. Yeah, lo- load of rubbish, eh? What a- Dave, but Dave, what about defensive action? Should we get rid of that as well? Yeah, yeah, let's get rid of all the stats. Who needs yeah. stats anyway? Football's we don't need it. We just, all, we need, all we need is people who've played the game to tell us how to continue playing it. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Why not go back to the 80s? Well, let's change all the rules back. Get rid of stats. When football was better, who, who, let's, let's, change, you know, change, let's just ruin it. Revert, revert the back pass rule. Go exactly. back to the, the good old days. There you go. Simon Mignolet is suddenly the best goalkeeper in the world. And, yes. and tell me, Dave. Well, he's not allowed many, to wear gloves, is he? Here's the, only, here's the only bloody stat that matters, Dave. How many pints of beer can Juan Mata drink before he goes out on the pitch? Because Paul Merson can drink almost a skinful. That is the good good question. I, you know, that's a great question. So though I reckon he's more of a man, really. You know, you see him, see him sitting in the, drain, the dressing room with his whiskey out, probably like aged for like 50 years in an oak barrel. Um, you know, just chilling, drinking his whiskey, not it's giving a shit that, about expected goals. I actually think uh, Paul Merson was aged 50 years in the Oak Barrel recently. Um, didn't make mm. him look great when he came I out. Um, or at least some of the political views and uh, other views around Sky have aged 50 years in the Oak Barrel um, regressed. Uh, seriously, though, why are people... Why, it, should we just call it something else? Should we just call it, look, this could have happened and I, here's I why that yeah. might be interesting? I think that's part of the problem. He's got a name, stupid name. With the name. And Dave and I were talking about this. I think maybe if we convert it to like chance rating or something, then these fools will not talk about it so much because, you know, they seem to poke fun at the name a lot. Um, and that's part of the problem. But I think, you know, the the problem with all of this stuff is I think the, the main reason that a lot of these guys have, a, have an issue with it is because of the way that it's been presented. A lot of people tend to use expected goals or more advanced metrics as like the end all be all. And no statistic will ever be the end all be all. And people, saying that it's a problematic or maybe flawed metric are correct in saying that it's not perfect it's not going to represent everything that happened but no statistic is if you have that much of a fundamental problem with that statistic then you cannot use any sort of metric to quantify anything because they leave out massive parts of the game that right now cannot be quantified at accurately by numbers so i think the important thing to remember here is is that expected goals is a good metric it's a good metric in analyzing the 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 quality of a chance in in certain situations should it be used as the only thing that you use to to look at the quality of a game no you have to look at you know the performance you have to actually watch the game but i think it's an important tool in terms of if you understand what an expected goal rating or a model is if you start looking at games from that perspective then you understand what a you know what a good performance or what a proficient performance or what an intended performance um should look like and and that's that's part of the, the thing yeah, IP, IP little IP. Why, why do you need stats when you've got goals? Well, technically, their goals is a stat. <laughs> it is, though, isn't it? It's, yeah, it, it is, is a statistic. Like, you know, I mean, I'll statistic. Nil-nil, one-one. Those are all stats. So you know. I mean, statistically, what you're what you're saying is you guys managed to stick it in the onion bag as many times as yeah, that's the thing. 
How many times you can get it in the onion bag? Uh, Simple. Also, for Dave. Also, Dave. I think the main stat that needs to be mostly gone over is how many cheeses have been handed out. Am I right? This, you know, the, the cheese to referee ratio is something that we don't consider in English football. And quite frankly, I think it's disgusting. Put some chutney on that. I think Jeff's interested. Let's move on to the questions. Mm. Uh, there are some good questions this week. Uh, as it's Thanksgiving, what do you guys feel thankful for? That one's from Luke Dorr. Doesn't have to be football related. Um, I mean, Nico, you're an American, first of all. Um, and second, I mean, you're, I mean, you're American by trade. Um, but you know what is what what is it that you're thankful for? Thankful for for my friends, both back good in the point. United States, you know, um, helping me through everything, being being good pals, you know, and also you guys are are also my friends over here, uh, being real nice to me. Yeah, in a way, maybe not you so much, but but Dave and and Adam. Um, Don't and Chris. Pay for lunch and breakfast so, the other day. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> No, uh, of course, thankful for Lawrence, of course, thankful for everyone over here that has been so kind to me, uh, not only when I'm here, but, you know, also in other situations as well. So, yeah, I'm thankful for the that's people lovely. that surround me in my life and, and keep me positive. Dave, that's great. Uh, what about you? Do you feel thankful for something in football or outside? Me. No, You're thankful for being you. thankful. Right. <laughs> Good. Uh, that's the and, 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 what about, and what about you, Lawrence? Are you thankful for anything, pal? <laughs> thankful for life. I'm thankful. Um, I think every year the prime minister should get to pick one manager like a Thanksgiving turkey that they pardon. And for the rest of the season, that manager can't be sacked. Thankful for those new pair of trainers. Huh? Those are pretty In a way. Nice. Yeah, although, you know, just... I heard about those, this, Lawrence. £180 for trainers. You're a madman. You're an absolute madman. Surely they're not that worth 120 quid. Beat that out. Um, anyway, uh, I'm, tell you what, I'm thankful for com comfy feet uh, and thankful for the three stripes of Adidas. Um, with Barcelona and Real looking... Can we just... Real is not the correct way to talk about uh, Real Madrid. No one in Spain apparently calls Real Madrid Real. Apparently that's uh, reserved for another Real team. Just a prefix. Um, it, it, it is just a prefix, royal, but it, there's, so, there's a bunch of reals. Real yeah, but I'm told, that, I'm told yeah. that Real is not the way to refer to Real Madrid. Uh, many, many mm. times, week after week. Uh, looking to strengthen in the summer. Could this be an English club's best chance to win the UCL? But it's interesting because obviously someone said, someone dropped uh, the idea the other day that Lacazette originally wanted to sign for Atletico Madrid. But the reason that he couldn't was because of their transfer ban, Dave. Um, that would have been yep. brilliant. <laughs> I mean, that is completely correct. It, it is. It is correct, and we'll come on to uh, Arsenal's transfer policy in just a second. Um, but Dave, do you think that this is the ideal time for an English club to strike? I mean, there are there's a lot of strength there. Dad, I don't think it's just that. I think there's a bit of a weakness in the classic European juggernauts. You know, Bayern Munich are going for a transition, having sacked Carlo Ancelotti in pretty ridiculous fashion. Then you've got the likes of Borussia Dortmund failing. You've got Atletico struggling through their group. They might not, not even make it. Um, I think they're in, you know, they're in a good position too, but they might not make it. You look at the the other guys, PSG looking still good. Monaco um, have been poor. Benfica have been poor. So, you know, you look around Europe and there's there's a big time. The likes of Juve are not as strong without Benucci. There's definitely a time and the English teams are looking strong. So, yeah, it's a perfect time for England to win it. The only bad side is that English sides are going to have to play tough opposition 
from the last 16 because there is so many English sides in that there will be in the knockout stages. Of course, apart from Manchester United, who would have exited with the highest points ever, 12, uh, unfortunately. Mm. What's the ET in the Champions League? That's expected trophies, Nico. <laughs> in the Champions League for Manchester City? I, I don't know. Well, I, say, I just said for anyone. I mean, what's the ET? I think it's just one. What's the ET, Nico? 1.0. Can only one. get one. Can only get one, one trophy. Disappointing. One is low, I'm told, in ET. Um, well, maybe two if you count the Europa League. But. Yeah, I mean, we're not. Um, but <laughs> I think someone big will win that this season, but it won't be an English team. Manchester United won't be in it, blah, blah, blah. Um, while we are on it, let's talk about Sven. Is it Mislintat? Uh He is the ex now Bayern Munich. Uh, sorry, Bayern Munich. Uh, Borussia Dortmund coach interestingly um, he's now moved to uh, Arsenal where he is now he's not uh, he's scouting basically Dave crazy yeah I think it comes in as, as head of head of the scouting department I think it's kind of nice to see what Arsenal are doing next in a way you know now they are thinking after Wenger which a lot of their fans didn't think was a, was, was around obviously this isn't something that's going to take a day to do this will be something that's been in the pipeline for a good six months apparently he fell out of love uh, that Sven fell out of love with Borussia Dortmund in the Thomas Tuchel reign uh, Thomas Tuchel banned uh, you know the likes of the, the coaches and the scouts or some part of the coaching staff and scouts from seeing the, the inner circle of the first team so he kind of fell out of love with Borussia Dortmund and that's probably when the negotiations with Arsenal started taking place that's probably over like 12 months ago but what in terms of the players that he's brought to um, Borussia Dortmund you know you've got your Lewandowski's you've got your Shinji Kagawa's you've got your Usman Dembele's you've got a lot of top 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 players so for Arsenal it's, it's a very good thing but like what you're saying seeing with Everton didn't they pull what the head scout that was responsible for bringing N'Golo Kante and Mahrez to Leicester City and they've had one of the worst transfer windows I've ever seen in my life. So it's not just about a single guy. It's about the entire system. So yes, Arsenal may have a really good system already and putting a new part in that would be perfect. But, but also, can't expect the world. That's the problem with scouting departments. It's not one person. It's a team of people. So if, if you're the person that's you know completely in control of that team and it was you that was getting the, the players in, yeah, fair enough. But if it is like a situation um, like the fellow at Everton, I can't remember his name. Do you think for a few guys remember his name? It was um, uh, Walsh. Paul Walsh, was it? Yep. No, it wasn't Paul. It was. Yeah. Was it Paul Walsh? It, I, oh. For some reason, I, it, it's not Bradley Walsh. I know that, but it is. Uh, I think it's Steve it's, Walsh. Steve Walsh. That was it. Yeah, the, he's, he shares the name with the ex uh, Leicester player, Steve Walsh. Yeah. So it, it's not. It's smart. It's a good move. He's done well in the past, but again, you'll find out how much he did at Borussia Dortmund by who Arsenal sign over the next few seasons. We welcome Kristen at this point to the podcast. Afternoon. I think I've gleaned what you were, were likely discussing there based off the, the mention of Borussia Dortmund. Have you um, done a bit of research into him? I mean, they, they've just been bringing this up to date with the fact that he fell out of P- love. Peter Gala asked a good question about that. No, I was going to say, I was going to, Dave probably knows a, a lot more on, on him than I do. Everything I know is quite superficial in terms of deals that um, that he was said to be in, involved in. I think the, the only thing I would add is um, there's a belief sometimes that adding someone like this um, can fix everything. And, and I'm a little bit sceptical of this sort of guru ideology um, because I think that <clears throat> from my very brief exposure to, to that side of the game, um, 
usually it is a, it is designed by committee um, or it's selection by committee, excuse me. And I think when you give someone all of that exacting power and you ex- expect them to raise the level or fill in gaps where you've had them previously in the market, that's a lot to put on one person. Um, well, and I would imagine, not because I know any great deal about this, this chap that's been hired, I imagine that for every one or two good play that he suggested, he'll be first to admit that he's also suggested a bad one. And there's there's yeah. people in the industry who, when they hire scouts or director of football or, or whatever, they will actually ask them, who's the biggest player you've missed? Like, what's, you know, what's the, the one that you got sort of uh, the most wrong in terms of uh, ability projection? And I think Neymar. that's a really good way to, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at it. Um because I think we'll, we'll all have those moments. I, personally, I wasn't hugely sold on Harry Kane when I first saw him play in the championship. Um, I didn't see an elite level forward in him then, and a lot of Norwich fans didn't either. Um, so, yeah, and I think... It'll be your face. Yeah, oh, massively. So I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch. I had seen somewhere that they were looking at someone from Barcelona as well that they wanted to, to bring in in that structure. It's, it's great to see them hiring these people. Um, I think at the same time, it probably sounds the bell for the the last few chapters of the, the Arsene Wenger era, because I can't imagine he's going to want to relinquish control. And I can't imagine those people would want to leave those clubs to only be undermined by a, a coach in Arsene Wenger. A very good point. Um, and of course, they haven't even got a director of football just yet. So um, they've appointed that. They've appointed one level before they've appointed another. Unusual. Uh, Piotr Gala almost feeds off the back of that one, Nico. In your opinion, do you think Peter Bosch um, should be sacked? And who would be the best candidate to replace him? If you don't think he should be sacked, what should he do to fix his tactics? It's an interesting one. Obviously, Dave mentioned earlier that he has a rather interesting approach to the Champions League um, that juxtaposed you know, not just suppose, but was vastly different to the to the uh, league form that they were enjoying early on in the season. But now the two are s- sort of seeming to be similar, um, considering that they have really dipped in the league and, and thrown away a, a lead over Bayern Munich that they would have liked to take advantage of uh, later on in the season. But I think I, I don't think he should be sacked uh, because I think he's a good manager and. and giving up on him this early into the season in his first season at Borussia Dortmund um, would be disingenuous to to his time as a manager. I think there are things that he can do to maximize the efficiency of what he's trying to do as a possession team. And given the fact that he is transitioning from from the Eredivisie to the Bundesliga, in, in not only that, but, but also to, to a greater development of talent um I, th- I think these things were sort of coming and just because we didn't see that struggle right at the beginning and they were enjoying a, a little bit of an overperformance as well as some good performances um as well doesn't mean that he should be given the sack right away i think I guess, he has the ability to sorry go ahead well i guess there's also the problem we've seen a lot of it this summer that there are players who wanted a move and ultimately marketed themselves for one and didn't get it mm-hmm. coutinho uh, Aubameyang is another one as well who was apparently putting his name out there, you know, telling all the big sides, I've got a big offer. And they were like, yeah, but he's well, been, he's been doing that it. for quite a while. Yeah, but I and think I, what, and, what and I mean my, is uh, in, in terms of the way that things are going this season, it's not mm-hmm. been it's not been great for them in terms of team harmony. Right. And I think uh, all the things that they felt so used to or felt were such an intrinsic identity to the club have all been questioned for Dortmund in recent years. 
Yeah, and I would certainly agree with that. But I think specifically, maybe mentioning Aubameyang, um, you know, when I spoke to Stefan Busco, which is a bonus podcast that we did, if you haven't checked it out, you can go ahead and do that. It's a really insightful interview, um, I think, or not insightful <laughs> for me, but, wow. but insightful in terms of the, the answers that he gave. You um, really do you know, love yourself, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Aubameyang has always been candid with the with his approach to to his time at Borussia Dortmund. I think he's always been, from what uh, Mr. Bushko said, he he's always been open about leaving uh, Borussia Dortmund at some point in time, and the, the fans have always understood that. Um, but I think what really threw them off was was the departure of Dembele. I don't think they actually expected him to leave uh, this summer, and obviously the Neymar deal was something that that really put you know the the brick on the gas, as it were, um, in that situation. So I think having so much of your football club being dependent on the future and that future going in a vastly different direction than you, than, than you expected um, is something that they have as a club, I think dealt with actually pretty well. Um, because I think if you would have asked someone maybe a year, year and a half ago, if they thought Thomas Tuchel would have, wouldn't have been there, they would have said, you know, that's crazy. If they thought certain players wouldn't have been there, they, they would have also disagreed with that. But things have changed massively for that club. And I think as they've still dealt with it in a, in a really uh, good way. It's just getting through that right now um, with Peter Bosch and, and the other players that they've recruited is, is going to take a little bit of time. Uh, Chris, let's go to Osbert Moore's question. He submitted this one before the deadline, thankfully. Uh, what do you think about the CL round of 16 same league rule? Saw some interesting discussion by Sid Lowe. Did you think? Did, sorry, do you think it's advantageous to teams from big leagues? If so, is the idea of saving big ties for later in the comp more important? Certainly, an interesting one, isn't it? Because as we look to try and maybe equal out the Champions League, make it a little bit more, um, uh, make it a little bit more fair for the smaller teams, maybe a bit more equitable for them as well. Do we have to spread some of the equity that is already invested in the big sides um, out to these new guys and and essentially change the way that we look at some of these teams? Um, genuinely, I don't have a very strong opinion on it. Um, I was trying to get, to come down off the fence as I was listening to the question, but I see equal uh, viability in, in both arguments in terms of you know, keeping teams apart is, is, I guess, conducive to a better competition. But at the same time, it potentially gives lesser teams a, a better shot at making the final. Um, and I think that's perhaps why, you know, we've we've been in a situation where we've seen the likes of Barcelona and, and Bayern Munich consistently get to those last stages. Um, is perhaps because they're avoiding the likes of... of in Barca's case, Real Madrid in that in that first um, first knockout round. So yeah, I, I see the, the question the questioner's point, um, and I think it's a very good one actually. Yeah, it certainly is interesting. Though you would say you'd hope that the I guess the uh, plethora of talent is spread out far enough in the Champions League that any tie is going to be a difficult tie. Though that is obviously idealistic and misguided to think that. Um, the, the one of the final questions is uh, this about Statman Dave. Where is it? It's right there. Uh, also, why is Dave talking so much shit on Twitter when he hasn't honoured uh, the Zlatan's goal bet, even though it's been six months since he lost the bet? Thanks, Piotr. Dave's had to nip out now, um, and we don't know where he is. We had a call or something at three, uh, 4.30. Um, we will get this answered in time. Uh, and even though Lewandowski dyed his hair, and Dave said that is somehow linked to Dave, 
in some sort of weird ET move, um, we will follow this up. We think there are other ways of finding Dave uh, a payment plan for this. One of which might be his fingers. Um, Chris, as an American, or at least an adopted American for most people, uh, as it's Thanksgiving, what are you thankful for? Uh, so many things. Um, the family that I have, the adopted okay. family that I have over there. Um, you guys here right now, Adam, who isn't with us, obviously, Dave, who isn't with us, the fact that you know, I'm able to, Adam to is work still with alive, people. by the way. <laughs> yeah, sorry, he hasn't died. Um, that was very poorly phrased on my part. Adam, who um, sadly can't be with us. I want to wait to announce it as well. Wait yeah. a good 40 minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the fact that I get to, to work with a lot of people that uh, that I get on with, that that does, as crazy as that might sound, uh, mean a lot to me. And I think just in general, having, like ev- like everyone, we all have our, our own individual stories and struggles and all that stuff and and being able to reflect back on those and see where you are now that's that's something for me to be thankful for what a group of guys we have here um on the podcast and also on twitter have happy thanksgiving to all you guys whether you celebrate it or not i don't celebrate thanksgiving um i don't know why i I guess it's just not my holiday um yeah don't at me and then uh it's also been lovely to have you over in the uk as well nico nico before the uh before you you go this week you're also going to go and see spurs at wembley in some nice club wembley box tickets yeah with mr adam boltwood and i think a family member of his so that'll be fun wow uh to commemorate the loss of adam boltwood on this podcast (laughs) um Boltwood is still alive, by the way, just so you guys all know. He's just hes just not here because he's having some other phone call, uh, which you probably have noticed by now. Anyway, uh, it's been good to have you all. If you've got any more questions for next week, try and diversify them outside of just Barcelona, Manchester United, whoever. I know you're interested in those teams. We do talk about them quite a lot on the podcast. We are aware of that. We want to um, be a bit more insightful on one or two other teams. Uh, it's been good to have you all this week. Chris, thanks a lot for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you for having me, as brief as it was. Uh, Dave as well. It's lovely to have Dave, and of course Nico. It's been great to have you as well, Nico. Uh, there's uh, there's lots more to come in the UK. Uh, good luck at the Spurs game. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah, really appreciate it. It's been it's been great so far. So hopefully it continues to be great. Well, this was lovely. Uh, we will talk to you guys uh, on the weekend review, which will probably be on Monday. We'll see you guys then. In the meantime, keep tweeting us at the front three hashtag I am the whole. Go find Kristen. K Henage, H E N E A G E. It's at Nico underscore Morales. Uh, Underscore O Morales. O Morales. Why the O? Omar. My middle name is. Starts with an O. I'm not going to say it on the podcast, but yeah. A fellow. And then, of course, at Lozcast, my middle name. Uh, And, of course, at Adam Boltwood and at Statman Dave. Go let us know uh, what you think of the podcast. Go let us know what you think of the football over the weekend. And we'd love to speak to you guys soon. See you after the weekend. Bye-bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.